Welcome to Hubstaff's Agency Advantage Podcast, hosted by Andy Baldacci. Each week, Andy interviews a successful agency owner who shares their proven strategies to help you build and grow your agency. Hey guys, welcome to episode four of Hubstaff's Agency Advantage Podcast. I'm your host, Andy Baldacci, and every week I'm going to bring you a new interview with an agency owner who shares actionable advice to make your own agency more successful. Today, I'm really excited to be talking with David Judge. David has a bit of a colorful history, to say the least, that includes a brief stint in jail. But today, David's main focus is his outsourcing agency, Affordable Staff. David has helped dozens of clients, including many digital agency owners, use outsourcing to accelerate the growth of their business. And today, he will share with us how you can do the same. So without further ado, here's David. All right, David, uh, thanks for coming on the show. Yeah, sure. Glad to be here. Uh, you have an interesting story. And right now you run a digital marketing agency as well as an outsourcing agency. But 10 years ago, you were managing a large team at a small goods manufacturer. So like, how did you end up where you are today? That's a, a really good question, Andy, and I appreciate you asking. If I go back to when I, I left school, uh, so a number of years ago now, I actually my my father owned a ISP, an internet service provider. So I've I've sort of had exposure to technology in one way or another from the very beginning. And then as time as time grew uh, moved on, we started up an internet cafe, which is interesting if you want to discover what it means to work 100 hours a week um, in a restaurant. Uh, so crazy hours. And uh, during that whole period of time, we were integrating in the technology side. And whilst I understood technology really well, I, I realized that there was a big gap for me to understand how people work because computers are very different in a lot of ways than people. That's when I left and I actually uh, I, I sold out my percentage share of the restaurant and I went in and I did this thing called cold calling, which I'd never heard of before. <laughs> and the first time they said that there was Australia's largest database, which in Australia and I believe America is still the Yellow Pages. And uh, they said, you know, here's the Yellow Pages. And I said, oh, this is the database. And I said, where do I start? And they opened it up and they pointed their finger there. And uh, I started calling up people and started to understand how to talk to people and how to communicate and develop relationships. And then that led... Uh, through a series of unfortunate events, including um, a little bit of jail time, which we've never discussed, Andy. Yeah, I guess not. So That's I, a surprise. Yeah, so um, <laughs> which that led to me working in a, a small goods factory, packing salamis into boxes, um, starting from the ground up again after all these years of working hard at it. And then over, over a relatively short period of time, I ended up uh, becoming the manager of the factory, uh, more as a result of my understanding of the implementation of technology. And the funny thing is, is when you have a look at the, when you have a look at uh, the, the team that we we're managing, so I had a, about, uh, it was a, between 420 to 440 people at any time, depending on the seasonal changes during Christmas and Easter. One of the things that I started to learn at that time was the importance of, of leverage and delegation. <laughs> you literally can't run every single machine in the factory and you literally can't produce the product and there's a lot of pressure uh, in any manufacturing business to make sure that you're creating something of substance within a reasonable time and if something like uh, small goods where it, it, it will expire after a period of time that you're creating in such a way where you're maximizing the number of uh, the number of units you're, you're selling that are ending up in people's refrigerators essentially so so yeah so and then that led after a period of time, through just pure, purely through, uh, I actually was resisting the idea of going into business again for myself because I've been burnt previously. I was sort of forced into it from a friend of mine who kept sending me referrals. He knew that I had the understanding and the knowledge around technology to uh, to help out the clients, and that's where the digital agency started. So, so you, so you were kind of like the the tech guy amongst people that knew you. If they needed any problem solver, that they'd go to you. Yeah, and it, it was. It, I mean. The, I think that the big thing was that I, I have an understanding of technology and then there's the other side which is understanding how to explain how technology can fit to a, a, an everyday situation or an everyday environment uh, because that's the important part and I think that's a big gap 
for a, a lot of people is, you know, the, you understanding the technology and then understanding the application of the technology and how it can make the difference in a, in a person's business or in, a, in the factory, how we use technology to, to maximize the yields and the return for, for the owner of the business. So, yeah. Do you think the cold calling helped you get the background and skills in explaining things like that? Massively, massively. Okay. Uh, when you when you cold call and at that time it was uh, there were a lot of Australians that were cold calling Australians and it's changed now I think it's changed there over in the states as well where there are a lot more people overseas cold calling is that right mm-hmm. yeah. yeah so at the time there were a, a lot of Australians calling Australians and it was a Australians are always very polite people but if you get a person at the wrong time they wouldn't talk to you in a nice way and that can be depending on where you're at that day, that can be soul-destroying. So you oh, right. make, yeah, you need to make sure that you have mechanisms in place to, to keep going. I, I listen to a lot, of, uh, a lot of personal development material, a lot of Anthony Robbins, uh, mm-hmm. a lot of people of that nature, Brian Tracy for sales techniques, just to understand how to, to, first of all, maintain focus, as well as to develop relationships and communicate with people, because that, that part's really important. Yeah, because it's sort of the balance of both. Your, one aspect is you're calling at least dozens of times a day and a lot of those calls most of those calls probably aren't going to end well so you need to have the focus and drive to kind of keep going but at the same time when the calls do go well you need the skills to bring the relationship further yeah exactly and we and i i was calling so because of the the difference in time zones within australia i was able to start calling at 7 a.m my time and finish at 7 p.m my time at night and I hit about 200 calls, and I had a really simple principle. If I, I was using a the first stage, it was a shotgun approach to present my idea that I had to a person, and if they weren't interested, I'd move on immediately. Uh, okay. And that yeah, so you'd qualify really quickly. Oh yeah, I'd say, hey, this is who I am. This is what I offer. Is this something that might be of interest to you? No. Okay, great. Thanks. Next. So, and then just working through a list. <laughs> and yeah. You, yeah. When you cover it in that sort of volume, you find people. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so we'll get back to the, the digital agency. You said you, you started that up. Everyone, your friend kept giving you referrals, kept sending work your way. Did you jump in with both feet? Did you, did you quit your job and immediately open up the agency? Or what was the transition like? I resisted the change as much as I could, as I mentioned. So as I was continuing to get clients, it did come to a stage where I had to make the decision and one of the one of the biggest challenges I guess I had was uh, was overcoming the fear that I had of going back into business for myself after what I'd experienced previously uh, and making sure that I I wouldn't have that pain again because I, I didn't want to experience that pain. So I did come to a crossroads when I, I had my uh, my daughter who is now five years of age. I came to a crossroads when we found out that my wife was pregnant that I had to do something. And I had to go a particular direction. And uh, at that time, I thought, okay, well, if I stay within this within this manufacturing environment where it was a between six to seven days a week, and there was an expectation you'd be there twelve hours a day, uh, I wouldn't have the the life that I had with my uh, the life that I could have with my kids. And that was really important to me. It was really important to be a big influence in their life because I, I know how important it is. You know, that when you're there in front of your kids and what you can instill in them and and how that can follow through to when they grow up. It was really important for me to, to make that move. As you're starting your family, you knew you needed to make a change so you could be around more, and that was one of the big driving factors for you? Oh, definitely. And, and I actually I, I resigned my position, and, and then a few days before I was going to leave, they called me into the office, the general manager, and he sat me down and he said, so what, what is it you need to stay? And I jokingly said to him, pay me double. And uh, they, they didn't batter an eyelid, and he looked at me and he said, if we pay you double, will you sign an agreement now? <laughs> so it worked. Yeah, and I thought, yeah. Well, you weren't even trying, yeah. Yeah, that's right. And I thought, oh, <laughs> what am I going to do? So I rang up my <laughs> wife at the time, and she was she was actually writing training material for a large telecommunications company in here in Australia, and she was on a retreat. And I rang her up, and it would have been about thirty calls I, I placed to her, and then there was no there was no coverage where she where she was uh, where her training was. And there was one spot at the top of the hill and, and everybody was on a break and she walked to the top of the hill and she turned her phone on and all these missed calls and her immediate thought was, oh, what's going on? Oh, yeah. So I rang her up and I, 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 I said, you need to quit your job. And she said, oh, you know, I, I can't. I'm, I'm at the peak of my career. And I told her what happened and she went, oh, I need to quit my job. So, <laughs> so she quit and, uh, and I stayed on board in the manufacturing 
role. Uh, and I always intended to only stay there for up to 12 months so I could systematize it and delegate it to, to people so it could continue to run without me. Uh, and then my wife jumped in and she started handling the digital agency. And so from the start, what kind of work were, were you guys taking on? Was it just any and all kind of web digital related things or, or did you have a focus at all? It was, uh, we were focusing on paid advertising and SEO at the time. Okay. And, and the, the challenge that came about was my wife, while she's also an excellent communicator and excellent at rela- uh, managing relationships with clients, the challenge she had is she, she didn't understand how any of that stuff worked. Okay. And that's where the outsourcing stuff started. So, how, yeah, so how did you overcome that difficulty? So I started looking to employ talent locally, and I, I found that I just couldn't get the people that I needed locally within Australia because they didn't understand it the way that, the way that a lot of other SEOs understood it. So um, I started looking out of necessity, looking overseas to try and find other people overseas, and, and that's when we started. Uh, I originally was using Odesk, which is now Upwork, and I, I used them to source talent over in uh, – I was, I was using them everywhere, uh, Pakistan, Bangladesh, uh, India, so really around that, those regions to start off with and started to put together a team within India that could start handling the SEO and paid advertising. Okay. And so this was for a lot of the, the SEO and the kind of the SEM work? Yeah, that's exactly it. To back up a little bit, how did you first get involved with SEO and SEM? So when I was in the manufacturing business – my, uh, a friend of mine who was working for a, an, another form of paid digital advertising, he had a lot of clients that were actually asking for this service. And they, the agency he was working with at that time didn't offer that service. They didn't offer paid and, and, um, and SEO. So he needed someone he could refer them to because he wanted to maintain his client relationships and continue. And he wanted someone that would be like the paid advisor, the person that would offer the, the impartial information. And because of my knowledge of technology and communication skills, that's where he said, oh, look, I want to introduce them to you because I know that you'll take care of them <laughs> in the right way. And, um, and yeah, and that's when he started sending me referrals. But the, the funny thing is, is I said, I don't want them. So he, um, he said, look, you need to talk to these people. And I said, look, I'm really not interested. And then he came back and said, look, these people really want to talk to you. I said, look, I'm really not interested. And then my, my mobile rings one day in the factory and I pick up the phone and it's a customer calling me and saying, hey, you know, your details have been passed on to me. Uh, we'll be talk, we have to talk <laughs> <Yeah>. to you. <laughs> and I'm thinking, what are you doing? I don't want to talk to you. But, yeah, it happened anyway. <laughs> I guess that's a good sign when no matter how many times you tell them no, they, they keep coming back. Yeah, so it happened despite me, unfortunately. Right. <laughs> fortunately, yeah. This is, just so the listeners know, this is the, the launch we see of Online Specialist, your first yes. digital agency, right? Yes, that's correct. And so you're working with a team primarily through Odesk on uh, kind of all over the place, what is that like? Because in, in my mind, I've hired remotely. I know a lot of those tasks, but how how would you kind of interview people? How would you make sure that the people you were hiring could do what you wanted them to? And that's a that's a really good question, Andy. Because what, what actually happened the first time, the first few times, I really trusted what people were saying to me because I figured, you know, it, we're all people in this in this big you know, world of 7 billion people. We're all people. We're all here together. I looked at face value at the resumes and the applications people were sending through, and I went ahead and said, okay, well, let's, let's go and do that particular job because, you know, you say you can do it. And then they were delivering me different stuff. And I, I recall there was a, a, a campaign that I was using, um, some guys in Bangladesh, or was it Pakistan? I, I think it was Bangladesh, and the idea was for them to attract a few hundred Facebook likes. And it was the first time that I'd ever worked in, in this arena, uh, for, and it was for a client because they're saying, hey, we know you're in this area. Didn't you can find someone who can do it for me? And they said that they were legitimate likes and, you know, this is how we do it. And everything sounded, everything sounded legitimate. And when they actually had the whole thing, everything was done, uh, we looked at it and it's like, awesome. And then we had a look at, uh, I, I mentioned to the client and the client went and had a look in, in Facebook under the admin panel and they saw that these 200 likes been attracted from Bangladesh, and uh, they were. I'm guessing that's not where your client was based. No, no, they're <laughs> Australian based, and they were very upset. Uh, it cost me a bit of money, and I thought I, I can't do this. This isn't sustainable. So that's when, at that time, I started to look at ways to ask more questions, so establish a more solid foundation when I'm looking at employing a person to make sure that that I'm getting a person that can perform the tasks that they say they can. Okay. 
And so will you do like um, pre-screening, but then do you do test work with them? Do you kind of work with them on a trial basis to make sure that even after they get, they get through your screen, do you still make sure that they're able to deliver before you kind of bring them on at a full scale? If we now imagine this is pre um, Hubstaff and Trello and all these other tools that, that I use now, <laughs> so it was it wasn't as clean as what it is now, uh, and I didn't have the opportunity that you know that a lot of people have now with the technologies available. Uh, at that time, I had a, a a basic questionnaire that every single person had to answer, irrespective of who they were and where they were from. If they couldn't answer that that questionnaire and they couldn't they couldn't answer it in a particular way so making sure that their English was at a particular level making sure that they could do basic math mathematical calculations making sure they had basic common sense then I would just pass on them straight away and I was getting like between 50 to 80 applicants every time I put a, a job posting on Odesk at the time and so it was it was easy it was just a matter of going and I'm sorting those people down to the four or five that seemed suitable and then I talked to them Right. Okay. So once you once you narrow down the fifty to eighty applicants with the questionnaire, you would then talk to the remaining handful and figure it out from there. Yeah. Exactly. So I talk to them. I would actually ask them their experience, how they would handle certain scenarios because of my experience in the in within the you know within the digital agency, how you'd handle these scenarios, and, and throw in a couple of little uh, loopy questions that only a person who has the experience would understand, mm-hmm. just to make sure that they don't try and bluff their way through it. So yeah. Right. I do have some experience with outsourcing myself, and I know how difficult a process it can be to kind of wade through all those applications and figure out who knows what they're talking about, who actually can do what they say they can. Depending on what you're looking to do, I'm sure there are a lot of listeners right now that are thinking that, like, okay, if I spend all this time doing that, it would probably be easier to just hire someone stateside or hire someone locally. Yeah, and, the, and just to just to expand on that, it, when I was using Odesk at the time to make it really, really fast, what I did is at the very bottom of every application that I would, every uh, job posting that I put up, I put a small mathematical equation in the bottom. I would type out the mathematical equation in words, and I'd have to answer that mathematical equation in order to be considered for the position. And that that was so almost thing. like almost like a capture. Yeah, exactly, exactly, <laughs> because there were so many people copying and pasting. There. Right. Yeah, so uh, I put that in there, and then to eliminate it down to those five took about half an hour. <laughs> okay, so that okay, so that makes it a lot easier. Yeah, this is still all for your digital agency. So, at what point did you decide to become an outsourcing agency in yourself? So, again, like many things, this happened despite me, <laughs> because I had I had a number of our clients. They knew that we were working with people overseas because we had set up a process and they were communicating with the team. And they, uh, the first, very first client uh, contacted me and said, oh, can we have lunch? And I said, yeah, sure. And we're sitting down having lunch. And he said, look, I have an idea. And uh, this is what I'm running at the moment. And I want to be able to do this. And I need the manpower, but I can't find them. Do you think you could help me find somebody? And I said, oh, I thought, oh, I guess I could. And I thought, how much do I charge for it? That was my first thought. So I just, I made a, a once-off figure up. Yeah, I went through, ran it through the process. Uh, it, the first, the very, very first time round, I have to admit, the very first person we found wasn't suitable. The the second person we found ended up having issues as a result of their village being flooded. Uh, but the third person that we found has been working with them now, and this is coming on to three, three and a half years. Oh, wow. And, and what was the arrangement you had? Was it um, an upfront fee? Was it an ongoing thing? Or for your first client, how did you structure that? For the first, the first few, I made it an upfront fee, which I, I started to realize after a period of time that that wasn't building a residual income and it wasn't sustainable. So then I started to change over to a residual fee plus a, a once-off upfront placement fee. Okay. Is that the structure you have today is you have a, there's a placement fee and then there's um, sort of some margin built into the hourly rate? Yeah, exactly. And because, we, because we're actually operating out of physical offices now and, and uh, over, the, over the, the time uh, I've focused on, okay, so this is the challenge that we're facing that keeps showing up all the time and how am I going to resolve it? Because I, if, I, if I just keep facing it every time, it's going to stop me from moving my business forward. So I identify whatever that challenge is and then identify how we can implement it to fix it the next time and then if it doesn't work, uh, that time, how is it we can improve it again? So like methods of ongoing continuous improvement. And uh, for us, it was moving into a physical a physical office space over in the Philippines uh, and having all the people located within that office. That overcame the issues with power, um, internet, 
and the consistency and the motivation of the person uh, because they're within a office environment. So, yeah. So you were finding individuals who were working from home and what were the issues that you said that the, that you had with that? What, what did the office solve? Uh, okay, so the office for us solved the power issues. And, and, and mind you, it, the power issues, they're not a big deal, if you, were, if you were to say it that way. It's just that the way that I always look at and approach my business is, again, continuous improvement. So to find a way that I can fix a, a, a challenge, fix it permanently, or at least head it towards that way. So the power wasn't a, wasn't a massive issue for us, but it did arise every once in a while. And so for someone who hasn't traveled to that area, doesn't know kind of the infrastructure there, what were the power issues? So uh, within some of the out, outlying areas of the Philippines, uh, they, they have the issues of power shedding. So that's where, uh, like during periods of time, running into elections, this is really funny, running into elections within particular regions, they, um, they start to switch the power off. Uh, and because they want to, they want to understand ways that they can improve, or they want to show uh, people how bad the government is, or whatever the reasoning <laughs> is behind it. They start to, they start to switch the power off. Uh, and then there's also power shedding, which is where they, uh, they basically, this is the amount of power they've allocated to a region, so they need to decide who's going to get it during what periods of time. If the, the person's working within a residential area, for example, and uh, that residential area is, is flagged for power shedding between the hours of nine till three because most people aren't there during that time, then that can certainly impact the outsourcer's ability to perform the task. Okay. Yeah, clearly. For the office, are there areas that are kind of exempt from the power shedding or what What about the office allowed you to kind of overcome those issues? And that's a that's a perfect point and that's exactly it is when when we looked at an office, we made sure that we found a place that was that was within a business district, and business districts generally are constant constant power because there's the demand there for it. So that was important for us as a part of it. Okay, you originally you talked a lot about Bangladesh and, and Pakistan. How did you end up setting up an office in the Philippines? How did you go from hiring in those areas to the Philippines? There were a few reasons that we made the change. Um, I had a look at the Philippines originally, except they, they were having a number of issues with, the, with their infrastructure at that time. And India, which is where we established a, a big percentage of the business at that point in time when we had a, you know, really focusing on growing the digital agency back then. Um, so we were running a lot of it out of India at the time. And I looked at the Philippines, but they just didn't have the infrastructure. Uh, and then on... On uh, Odesk at the time, there were a lot of people within around that region, around Pakistan and Bangladesh and India, a lot of people around that area that were uh, applying for positions, but not as many people within the Philippines, which I came to learn why later, uh, but I'll tell you that soon. <laughs> but I started to understand that um, that I had to basically use the people within India, uh, and then over a period of time, the Philippines is investing a lot of money in the government in setting up and improving their infrastructure, and they have different regions which are called cities of excellence. Uh, Manila is considered to be a city of excellence, and that's a city that reaches a particular level of power supply, um, you know, infrastructure, water, sewage, uh, internet, and they provide that with a, a level of consistency. And the, the city where we've looked at setting up is um, they're, they're a city of excellence as well. So. That was one of the reasons why we started to transition across was because of that, so their infrastructure. But uh, also the people, uh, I found the, uh, for our time zone, two hours difference for Australia, I found that the people were of a similar nature to us, so they were more closely aligned straight away with uh, with what we were looking at building and what we are looking at growing, so that's the other reason. Okay, and so an office is a, a big expense, and a lot of people think about offshoring, they think about outsourcing and even just hiring remote workers they think of one of the benefits is not having an office. Yes. And so would it have been possible for you to hire people that lived in those cities of excellence and still could have consistent power without the office? What, what made you say, I want to open an office and have people show up to work there? I met with a, a client last week, uh, and uh, he actually has his own team running out of another location, and they're running from a townhouse, like the equivalent of a townhouse, and they have good power. Uh, they've, you know, so they've never had issues with power shedding. The internet's really, really great. It's consistent. Uh, so for him, that's that's really, really good. And we had a talk about a, a an alternate solution where he could look at running out of the office. But I, that's not how I roll. Like I said to him, no, look, don't do it. Just do what you're doing now because the infrastructure you've set up is awesome. Keep running with it. For us, and the reason why we chose to switch over to the office is, especially as we're offering this as a service to clients, you want to ensure that the experience for a client is seamless. 
where they're experiencing what their expectation would be here in Australia, they're experiencing exactly that same expectation within another location because that helps them instill and gain the confidence in the, the product offering, if you were to call it that. Um, so for us, they, it, was, it was an important next step to move to an office space just to provide that consistency for a broad range of clients. Uh, do you have managers in the office as well? Yeah, exactly, exactly. That, so we we have we have managers that oversee and and um, and help and that help the the team members that are working. They they generally do work fairly set hours. They work the same hours as the business, so they're sort of they're really really closely aligned. And and we look at implementing a, a number of different areas for them to integrate really well within the business. So we arrange uh, we arrange for a majority of clients the, the um, shirts that match the same shirts as they wear here in Australia. A telephone line, so um, we use a, a PBX system uh, through a, a preferred supply here in Australia, so they have an extension. Uh, oh, wow. Yeah, so they really, it's, it's like if you imagine for the way that I've set it up, and you can do this from home or you can do this from, uh, you can do this from home or within an office space, is uh, when you're employing a person, it's, it's like they're working for you in the same country, but you never see them. Right. Okay. No. So you are making it as seamless as you can. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. And that's the, that's the whole key. And for them to be an important integrated part of the team. Okay. And so, have many of your clients that have come to you have they worked with other offshoring agencies before, or are a lot of them is this their first exposure to it? It's a it's a really good question. It's, it's a, about a fifty fifty mix. So we'll have new people that. Uh, uh, that have had no experience, and, and we'll normally go out there and we'll sit down with them and we'll help them to. It, and we, I was going through this with one of my BDMs this morning. Sit down and um, ask a person first of all what they hate doing within their business. Okay. So you start off yeah. with that, and then what they, you know, and then and then we use that as the foundation to understand the tasks that they can actually outsource, and then find a suitable person that can perform that task that has suitable qualifications. And, and so they start off with that, uh, and then you have the other side people that have. Uh, tried it for themselves and they've, they've been burnt. Those are people that are coming through to us as well as trying it with another agency um, that haven't had the same level and the same consistency of uh, infrastructure. So that's where they'll come across to us as well to because they understand the value of it, but they also understand that it's got to work and it has to work 100% of the time and you can't have those gaps. If they're receiving calls, that uh, you know, a call comes through and, and Jan, for example, answers the call, that halfway through the call it drops out. That's, that's losing a customer. So, right. Yeah. Having the office, having that consistency is a big selling point for them. Oh, definitely, definitely. Okay. They, especially the people who have, who have tried it themselves previously and they've, uh, they've, had, they've had the negative experience. In my eyes, from working with individual freelancers remotely, I can definitely see that where there'll be times where, especially with the different time zones, even if everything works perfectly, you still can have a lag of up to a day where you write an email and you don't hear back until you wake up the next day and things like that. So being in the same time zone, and then that doesn't even include like any Internet or power issues as well. So I can see the huge advantage of that. And that's a big thing for us is that we want we, the seamless integration. We want it to be totally seamless where they can feel a client can feel comfortable enough to pick up their phone, dial a number, and then that person answers at the other end the same way you would if you had a team member working in your office. So it's it's basically integrating at that level, which is uh, which is I mean for us is why our, our clients uh, they they introduce us to other people they know that uh, so they can have experience a similar experience. Mm-hmm. We're going to take a quick break for a word from our sponsor, but when we come back, Dave is going to share how outsourcing can help digital agencies grow their business. Hang tight, we'll be right back. The Agency Advantage podcast is brought to you by Hubstaff. Now, Hubstaff makes time tracking software for remote teams so that you can stop tracking time with spreadsheets or on the back of napkins or whatever else you're using and start getting the insights into how your team is actually spending their time that only screenshots and in-depth reports can give you. Our best clients are agency owners, and while they love the accountability that comes with it, it's sort of like Upwork but without all the crazy fees. Where they really find the true value is by being able to connect Hubstaff with a project management tool to see what tasks are taking up their team's time. Think of it as Google Analytics for your team. I do want to warn you, though, there's a good chance once you see this data, you're going to be sick when you realize how little time is spent actually delivering the project itself. But you can't set up the procedures to make your agency more efficient if you're just guessing where time is being spent. So give Hubstaff a try so you can stop guessing and start streamlining your agency. Head over to hubstaff.com today and sign up for a free, no credit card required, 14-day trial and get your agency back on track. 
All right, now back to David. And so say say I'm a digital agency owner like you were and I guess still are. I'm coming to you. I haven't really outsourced in this sense before. I've hired a few remote workers to kind of do design, to do some development, this and that. But if I'm coming to you and I'm just curious, what would you what would you say to me? How would you help me? Uh, another really good question because we have a number of digital agencies that outsource to us now, uh, and so so they basically uh, when they've when they've approached me previously, uh, the, the, uh, one of the big challenges that people that run a digital agency, dependent on their size, is they get to this sort of they get to this this stage where they're doing all the hours and they're doing a lot of the tasks and they may have you know. Uh, someone working part-time with them or they may have one other person and there's only so many things you can do within the agency so you want to have a person that can perform the you'd almost call it like the processing or the grunt work depending on where they're at or the person who can handle the overflow of the web design or the coding or the, or the programming uh, so uh, it's it's first of all just going and, and finding the problem so what is it what is it the gap for them uh, what is it that they're doing that they think they should be getting someone else to do so that's where we always start with every single person is finding out, you know, why is it they need the help? Like, what is it we can do to assist? Is it to because they want to grow the business? Is it because they're working ridiculous hours? Um, is it because they um, they need more money? Like, what are the what's the actual area that they're focusing on having within the business? Are there any trends you see with agencies? Is it usually or is it all over the board? For us, because the the nature of our business is building, it, it's a it, a lot of it's referral based. So um, for us, it's, it, we always find it really important, and I've always found it really important to integrate technology with relationship, because a, a technology is great. I mean, I, I I love technology, and I love how it integrates, and I love how we live in an era now. When I remember when I was a, a kid with my dad with the internet service provider. Mm-hmm. That wasn't seamless. That was that was <laughs> as far away from seamless as possible. To get a, a little um, a little what is it, twelve k modem to dial up and to connect, uh, it was that was not. But now we live in an era where all this technology is available to us, and it can integrate so easily, and it can integrate so seamlessly that uh, that you want to be able to differentiate yourself in a particular way and help people to integrate that technology. And the best way to do that is to talk to people and to you know to yeah just. Build the relationship with them, offer them the solution, uh, which is, yeah, I mean, I, I, yeah, for me, it's, for us, it's being critical. The remote team in, in your office, is it primarily administrative work? Is it development? Is it design? Or is it truly whatever problem people could have with that and you could have it covered? How would you describe kind of the makeup of your team? So the, uh, the, they generally fall into a, a couple of key categories. So um, accountants, real estate agents, administrators, Web designers and programmers. Those are really the key, those are the key areas that we're filling. For a lot of the, I mean, for example, administra- administration task, uh, we have a, uh, an outsourcing person that's working for a client who's a cleaner and he has, uh, he has six vans that are out at all times. Um, he was going out every single day and he was going and doing the job as well and then he was coming back into the office and he was, uh, he was following up on invoices, he was sending out emails, um, he was just doing all the basic stuff just to keep the business running all the time. Uh, and uh, every call, and this is really unprofessional, every call he had coming through was going through to his mobile, and he was on a job cleaning, and he's booking in jobs at the same time. It's like, how can you, how could you get to the size? But he did, nonetheless, because he's good at building relationships. So we put a, a person into his business, uh, telephone line, divert the calls through to there, receive the bookings. Uh, they're able to go out there and confirm the bookings. The customer, satis- the customer satisfaction surveys, which are which are huge. Uh, to find out, you know, how happy they were with your business, going back and following up after 12 months saying, hey, how are you going? These are other services we offer, uh, newsletters, uh, debt collection, which is a big thing for, was a big thing for them at the very beginning to make sure they had money coming through. Because on the, on the books they were showing as being, you know, having a lot of money, but until it's actually physically in the till, it doesn't count. Exactly right. Yeah. So just helping align all of it for the business owner. So it would mean in this particular case, this guy wasn't having to do seven days a week. So for him, it was a, a lot of it was time. Most people, if they think about what they do in a given day, most of the activities, for the most part, don't actually contribute that much to the bottom line. There's a book, uh, 80-20 Sales and Marketing by Perry Marshall. Um, it's, it's basically just the Pareto principle where 20% of the effort will give you 80% of the results. An easy example would be like confirming appointments. It's something that needs to be done, but you, it's not. It's, it's making sure that you don't have people missing appointments, but it's not a very specialized skill. It's not something that 
you need to do, but if you don't have someone else to do it, it falls on you. And so I, I can see what you're saying is that find those things that you hate doing but need to do, get someone else to do them so that you can focus on the kind of higher ROI things. And that's, I feel like, where a lot of growth can come into your business when you free your time up like that. Exactly. And, and it's, that's a, another really good point. So with a lot of the tasks, like booking appointments or sorry, confirming appointments, going back, it's, it's so funny. Uh, I was at a, uh, a seminar from, I think it was Brian Tracy years ago, and it was talking about the, uh, how many people go out and focus on investing money in, in getting new customers. So with our digital agency, the number of people that are going out constantly focus on paid advertising so they can get new customers, and then they ignore their existing customers. And just by going back and saying to them, hey, you know how you used us before? Would you be interested in using our services again? Or here's an incentive for you to go and refer it through to somebody else. Uh, just by running those alone, you're, you're tapping your existing relationship base that you've built with your existing clients as opposed to having to, as opposed to trying to go out there and find new ones all the time. And whilst, you know, the new ones are obviously very important, you want to keep them flowing through all the time, people, a lot of the times, and a lot of our clients, they miss that as a foundational point where they're not going back and they're not touching base with their existing clients. It's like they're scared of them. Like they're going to contact them and they're going to say, your job, you know, your service sucks and what you offered me was horrible. Um, Right. But and it's a lot easier to get somebody who's already spent money with you to spend more than yes. to convince someone who hasn't spent anything to, to give you a shot. Exactly. And, and when you leave it that, that time, that gap, so like if you meet someone and you, you, know, you, you click with them, if you were to call it that, at a, at a coffee, and then if you leave that to go for too long a period of time, that memory that you had of that relationship you had with the person can disappear. So if you have a... If you have a, a it works the same in business. You have a, a business that has offered you a service. If you've offered great service and they're like, wow, that was really, that was a really good experience. I'm going to talk to as many people as I, as I know about it. Uh, and then they go and they talk to a few people and then the next, the next thing comes along and then they, you know, their, their mind is distracted elsewhere. They're going to forget about you. So just by, just by having those minor touches where you continue to stay in contact with a person, that's where they can, they can come back and they can remember that experience the same way when you meet with a person. If you meet up with them again, you still have that, that click and then you can continue to develop the relationship more. It works the same in business or it has for our clients. Yeah. Oh, and I definitely agree with that. But so say I'm an agency owner and I'm, I'm good at getting new business, but like you said, I've kind of neglected once a project's done, I kind of throw it away and move on to the next one. How would outsourcing help me have more touches with those older clients? So one of the key areas that, that we focus on, and I use an example of a manufacturing client, uh, one of the key areas that we focus on with the manufacturing client is for him to show that he's an authority within his industry. And the best way that we do that is for him to create case studies on the, on the work that he creates because he, there's a lot of competition within, uh, within his particular manufacturing environment. So for him to be able to create the case studies that actually show uh, progress steps of the work that he's doing, that actually allows... Uh, you know, allows him to build authority. Now, for for this client, we um, all of his existing clients plus people that have sent him referrals, he adds to a list, and he stays in contact with his clients and those people every fortnight, showing the latest and most recent progress works they've gone and put together. And the open rates, the open rates of these emails that are getting sent out are phenomenal. And the uh, the, the number of times people are forwarding those emails onto others is. You know, it's 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 off the charts. Like I, I went and had a look at the stats, and I saw that one one person that opened that email forwarded it on twenty four times to other people. Wow. Which is, I mean, how do you, <laughs> yeah, yeah, how do you gain that? How do you get that? Uh, and it's all because he's focusing on positioning himself as authority and educating the people that are around him, uh, and on that he you know around what he does and how he does it. And it's the same way is that I think if you if you offer a service to a person and then you can educate them ways and they can on ways in which they can maximize that service or you can share with them other services not in a uh, not in a pushy you know knock on the door door opens jam your foot in way more of a hey look this is this is the application of this particular service that we've offered and this is how it can work for this works for this person without the expectation of it potentially working for you if you if you create that in such an authoritative way People will share it, and they'll say, "Hey, check out this piece of furniture, and how he actually did this." I, I was around your place, and I saw that the other day, um, and I think that this is something that could work for you. So, through, okay. yeah. So, th- I agree 100. percent If you can demonstrate value without selling too much, if you can say, "Hey, this is how we help someone else up. This is our process. This is what we can do." 
they know you're an authority. They know you're an expert. They know what you can do. You don't need to convince them as much. But I, so I'm trying to figure out how that fits in with with your services at, at affordable staff. Like, are are parts of that process outsourced, or is it because he's outsourced other parts of his process that he's able to focus on that? Or where where do you guys come into that? Okay, so and that's a really good point. So. So for this particular client, uh, we we work. So his outsource team member works with the client. So they produce on a regular basis. They take photographs and they produce a short story. Now that can be on his phone sometimes, where he's just gone and recorded, saying, "Okay, I've just created. I've just finished this job. This is how I did it. This is why I did it. This is the end result." Send it through. The person will transcribe that into a short update or a short excerpt or story. Uh, and then it will be placed on the website, and then it becomes a part of the newsletter. So in, in this particular in this particular instance, it's a it's an integration of a strategy that we've said to the client, hey, I think this will work really really well within your business, and that would be using like the the, the digital marketing uh, business as a component, uh, and then saying, okay, so this is something we think would work really well with your business, and then working with the client to implement the process. I see. I've read um, Steli Effie is a guy. He's he's big into sales. He runs a close I O. He does an awesome blog as well. But one thing he says is he, for his blogs, what he'll do is he'll just um. He's a sales guy, so he's very high energy. He, he sounds good no matter what he's talking about. And so what he'll do is instead of writing long blog posts, a lot of times he'll just record himself talking about a topic. Either just post that video or send it to someone on his team and have them create a blog from that. And I can see how that approach that you're talking about is a huge time saver because you want the expert to be the one creating the content, but that doesn't necessarily mean they need to be writing the blog. They need to be uploading it into WordPress, creating the graphics, this and that. And I think that's where a lot of people in content marketing especially get caught up is they they are experts, and then they'll write the first blog post, and they'll realize how much else needs to go into each post, how much else needs to go into each case study, and they'll just give up because they, they frankly don't have the time to keep doing that. Yeah, and that's that's exactly the point. These Those consistent activities that you perform on a regular basis, those are the areas that will position you within your business as an authority within your business, and those are the key areas that will get people to come to you as opposed to your competitor because they they know of that experience that you've shared. And uh, there's, a, there's a, a YouTuber I follow, Casey Neistat, and um, he produces a incredibly high quality um, video blog or vlog every single day, and he has been for almost a year. And uh, and he is always saying that technology is limiting unless you utilize it correctly. It should be about the creative form. It should be about getting it out there. And it's a, it's about identifying how you can overcome those limitations that are that you get stuck within, and making sure that you get it out there. And for a lot of people in business, it's in that particular case, it's outsourcing. Right. No, so I, I totally get that. But so if I'm thinking about that right now, I'm saying, all right, I, I agree with all this. That makes sense. But this sounds expensive. Like how I'm a small agency. I don't I don't have much time, but I also don't have a ton of money. How affordable or, or not affordable is it to get into um, kind of outsourcing? So if you're looking at so if you're looking at using affordable staff as a as a service, for example, if you're looking at a a, an accountant, a CPA, it would they would normally come in around about uh, a quarter of the the price or the quarter of the investment of employing a person locally within your business. Um, and if you're looking at something like an administrator, it'd be about a third of the the investment. Again, if you were to employ them locally, if you're an agency or a business that is looking at uh, looking at outsourcing and you're in the position where you, you don't have the money, then essentially you need to go through the process of investing more time and having a look at. Uh, places like Upwork and having a look at using that as establishing the foundation for you. Uh, the, I, the the way that I look at it and that the times where we've sat down and, and clients are saying, oh, okay, but what about the cost? If you, you look at the investment versus the return, there are a number of pitfalls in reality because there are a lot of moving parts when you look at outsourcing overseas. There are a number of pitfalls that can arise. Sometimes they do, sometimes they don't. Uh, when you're looking at using you know, services like affordable staff or other agencies like ours for outsourcing. You're looking at reducing the percentage risk of those issues occurring, and you're also looking at gaining their experience for a faster implementation and uh, to gain a faster, to gain those faster measurable results. There is a cost to it, but you don't want to think of just a cost. You want to look at the ROI. You want to look at 
what it frees you up in time to do elsewhere in your business. Yeah, and, and for if I go back to the very, very beginning when I started looking at the paid advertising and SEO, SEM and SEO, for us at that time, I couldn't find talent here in Australia. So it was it, that was my biggest limiting factor is I looked and looked and looked and looked and looked and I couldn't find it. And the people that I was asking, the answers they were giving me were just like, I thought, okay, I need to I need to find a solution. I need to look elsewhere. And the technology is there now after I discovered Odesk at that time. The technology's there, so you just got to do it. You just got to go out there and you got you got to find the talent. Are there any roles that you don't think are a good fit for outsourcing? Um, I, I I believe that cold calling isn't uh, suitable for outsourcing, <laughs> which is funny mm-hmm. because so many people do it. Uh, only because of my uh, culturally, I and this isn't culturally from a country, but culturally from our within our business, uh, it, it goes against everything that we believe in, which is about developing relationships. I see. So you wouldn't outsource the the relationship type of processes. You think those should still be up to the consultant, the the owner, whoever is in charge of that. Yes, and that's what I believe is the the, the reason why um, outsourcing for us works so successfully because you're allowing those other tasks to be performed so the person can focus on the relationship stuff, which will offer the much higher return on investment. Okay, no, and that makes perfect sense, and I agree. Like you see, I've seen it both ways where some people are hesitant to hire or to outsource for any position, and you also see some people who outsource literally every step of the process and then it's sort of you need to kind of own something yourself and those client relationships especially in an agency are crucial to success so yeah i can see why you don't want to just hand that over to somebody else and you really can't easily on that part and that's exactly it and and that's that's huge when you when you use technology to remove the human touch that's where you're in my opinion using it the wrong way (laughs) (laughs) Right, no, definitely, Cause, and that's the thing is a lot of a lot of companies have gone so far into the the tech side that they they forget that there's still humans involved and people want to be treated like people. Yeah, exactly. Well, so all right, we'll, we'll dial it back a little bit, um, kind of into the day to day of running affordable staff. How many employees are in your office in the Philippines? Um, we're just on fifty now. Okay, and then how many clients do they support? Uh, they support. Um, around about 42 clients. So we so we've now started to move in the in the process of of between two to four for teams, and that's a fairly new integration for us uh, because of the the nature of the growth of the business. We're focusing on a lot of one-on-one support for individual businesses. When you're balancing that many clients, that many projects with with a team that size, like how do you manage that? What is your day-to-day process like to to balance all of those projects and people. So we use, um, again, it's a, for us, it's the utilization of technology. So obviously making sure there's a solid, solid enough infrastructure over there for, to support it. Then we use um, Hubstaff, which we use for every single employee to be able to track their, their basically their, the time that they're working. We integrate that with uh, a couple of different softwares. We use um, Trello, which is an, uh, a, for us is an awesome software because it's so simple uh, and it allows you, Trello for those of you who haven't heard of it before, allows you to uh, basically project manage different tasks and softwares. And because of the API integration into Hubstaff, you assign a task in Trello, and then it, what it does is like a little drop, drop-up window. Um, you can tick that you've started that task, and it measures the start time, and you can tick when you finished it. Uh, so then that, it feeds that time back into Trello. Uh, and then that allows it allows a, a much more um, transparent and accurate way of tracking the tasks that are being completed uh, we also use, uh, dependent on the type of client, there are some uh, clients that have client-sensitive data. So um, for those uh, clients, we offer a remote desktop, which is the way that they can a person within our team can connect to a computer within Australia, and they use the software, whatever software is available for that client. Uh, but the, for us, the, the biggest thing for managing the people is, uh, is Trello, Hubstaff, uh, Podio, and for the actual money side, Zero, which is for us to charge our clients. I didn't originally think of it until I started using Hubstaff more and started talking to more of our, our customers and our clients is that for a lot of people, they, they sign up for Hubstaff for kind of the the obvious, the, the time tracking. But then when they start integrating it with, with other software like, like Trello, they see that you can break down the time spent on each different project and you can start kind of monitoring efficiency monitoring efficiencies in that way. 
And I know you're big, you're big on the whole continuous improvement kind of thought process. And so how does that, being able to track things down to the project, how does that play into it for you? It's, it's really cool for us because it, it gives us the ability on, on multiple levels. So if we have, if we have a series of, uh, common tasks that are being performed across multiple clients, we can have a look at, we can assign that task a code, we can have a look at those tasks across a variety of people and see how long it's taking each individual to complete that task. And it, that's a, uh, it, from a broad stroke perspective, that straight away lets us go and say, oh, look, this person is taking three times the amount of time to perform the task and they've yeah. been doing it for twice as long as that other person. What's going on? So we can use it as a broad stroke test to understand. Uh, and then we can also have a look at people that are performing the task really effectively and accurately. And um, we can have a look at how we can, how they're performing it and how we can improve our existing systems to roll out across the other team members to make sure that the task is being performed in a, um, an efficient yet accurate method. And that must be one of the big benefits for working with you guys or working with someone who has the office setting is that if I were to hire, just go on Odesk or go on uh, Upwork now and hire a freelancer, I wouldn't have kind of that advantage of of learning from people who are more efficient. I I wouldn't have anything to balance that against, whereas you guys with your management, you're able to help bring up the average, it seems like. Yeah, and and that's the the key for us. And as you mentioned around continuous improvement, there's always ways in which we can find to improve the task. Uh, and then we we feed that back through to the client. We'll say, okay, so it used to take it used to take this person 20 hours a month to perform this task. Now they're performing it within 15 hours. So now this is an opportunity for us to look at another area within your business uh, that we can implement to uh, for you to pass on to your outsourcer. For us, at the end of the day, the more instilled our outsourcer becomes within the person's business, the lower percentage chance or likely likelihood there would be of them letting go of that person. <laughs> so. So it's about us instilling more and more, yeah, into the business for the client. It's probably not fair to just say you're an outsourcing agency because it seems like there is a lot of consulting you do for for your clients to make sure that you're helping figure out what the problems are, but also you're, you're, there's the continuous improvement aspect, there's the management aspect. So it seems like there's a lot more than just kind of pure outsourcing. Yeah, so we'll have our, our current structures, we'll have BDMs that are out there that are looking at uh, sitting down and talking to and identifying for clients the different areas of their business they can outsource. Uh, and it's a very consultative approach that we use. If we go in there and we, we find that a person says, oh, look, this isn't going to work <laughs> for whatever reason, uh, then uh, we'll assist them in ways we can, and then the, the BDM will move on. Uh, they, they generally are a lot more consultative prior to that, so when that happens, they're really you know sitting in front of a person that's there saying, hey, what can I do? Um, and then once that actually happens, then we have uh, here within Australia, uh, we have a couple of client relationship managers that can just uh, make sure that everything's being integrated and everything's fitting together nicely. Uh, and then over in the Philippines above, uh, you know, over the over the top of uh, all of the team members, we have a, uh, like a, a supervisor layer and they just make sure that um, everyone's happy, everything's going well. And if there are any issues from the Australia side to the, um, to the Philippines side, that that person will generally go and uh, fix, fix whatever those issues are. Okay. And so do you primarily, I should have asked this in the beginning, but do you primarily work with um, Australian companies? That's been our, our primary focus is, is Australia and New Zealand businesses. Okay, perfect. I guess to, to sort of wrap things up, you've, you've given us a ton already, so I, I want people to give it, have a chance to digest it all. What do you guys work, what do you see as a future for, for affordable stuff? What do you see as a future for, for outsourcing? I can see. I was at a I was at a networking event last Friday with a, uh, a representative of the government here in Australia, uh, and there were a number of other business owners sitting, and about twenty other business owners, and they were talking about uh, the concerns that they had within Australia and the future. And of that room, a third of them mentioned outsourcing <laughs> as a concern. Uh, and which was really funny being a guy who does that, being in a room. Right, <laughs> yeah. And I was one of the last people around the circle. Um, so when they got to me, I said, oh, I, I'm the outsourcing person that you all are concerned about. Uh, and, and that raised an interesting conversation because at the, at the end of it, uh, I had all of those people that didn't like the idea of outsourcing come and talk to me to say sorry <laughs> because they, you know, they weren't expecting to have a representative of, uh, of outsourcing there. But the, the, the thing that I've come to learn over a period of time uh, within manufacturing, it's, it's happening there. 
um, and within a number of different areas, it's continuing to happen and it's continuing to grow. And I see our role as affordable staff ensuring that that happens successfully for people. Our key, our key focus with the manufacturing business, the furniture business that I mentioned before, at the end of the whole task where we have a person working within their business, he's employed three more carpenters that are master carpenters within the business in an area where they couldn't get a job. The jobs, it, it does take away some jobs in a sense, but like it, the jobs that it opens up, the jobs that it frees up are better jobs locally. Yeah, exactly. And, and what I can see as a, as a country, and I, I believe the same thing is going to happen within America as well and other countries as well, is that outsourcing is going to continue to grow and flourish because there's this competition within the industry where there are tasks that need to be performed, like those tasks you mentioned before, that need to be performed for a business to survive that they haven't had to do previously. So now they're at that stage that they need to be performed. There's more competition that's there. So you need to have that solution that you're offering in order for that business to survive, grow and flourish. And what's going to happen over a larger period of time, especially with digital disruption around artificial intelligence and stuff, is that the the the, the jobs and the people that are performing the jobs, uh, the the sort of type of roles they are performing, they're going to change and transition over a period of time. Absolutely. So yeah, no, absolutely. So they'll still be there. I mean, you, you look at the growth of um, you look at the growth of manufacturing uh, back in the day, and and then the automation within manufacturing that destroyed apparently a lot of jobs, but all that did is that just moved people across to a different area within manufacturing. Outsourcing can sort of be the boogeyman for for a lot of people. And it's kind of the the scary thing that politicians like to talk about, but but you're right. It's a, there's a transition involved with it, and obviously in some roles it it can have negative impacts. But but we've talked a lot about the positive ones, um, and so I'm, I'm thankful for that. And so uh, as a parting piece of advice, if say I'm that the typical digital marketing agency owner, I've done everything in house. Um, what would be like the, the tip or the, the kind of few words of advice you would give me to get started in outsourcing? Okay, so I know that for working with a number of digital agencies, I've seen how it's revolutionized their business with one client that uh, about a month ago I contacted him and it went through to his, um, his this PBX line. He was in China and he was cycling <laughs> around some mountains. And I, and, uh, and I remember when we first started together and we worked on helping his business transition, we focused on, first of all, establishing the foundation. So that's really, really important, making sure that you know what you're going to do before you do it, rather than just jumping in and, and saying that that person's going to figure it out because that person won't understand your business. It's, it's all about you understanding your business and establishing that foundation. Now, that part will take a little bit of work, but that little bit of work, and it's only a small amount of work at the very, very beginning, is what's going to help you transition in the future. Uh, the, the, the second step is to, once you understand that foundation, is to communicate. One of my team members sat down with one of our clients and they said, this isn't working. And they said, um, what do you mean it's not working? Well, the person's not doing the tasks. Uh, and it's like, well, have you spoken to them? Have you, you know, like, have you communicated with them? Right. No, I haven't. So, and that's, this is becoming uh, less and less often this happens because our process will sort of force the communication channels to start flowing. Uh, but it still happens, so you need to communicate. So once once you establish, make sure you communicate, uh, and then integrate integrate and use the tools like Hubstaff and Trello and Podio and you know those tools that will work well for you to make sure that it all gels together. I mean they're there, they, they weren't there when I first started outsourcing, but they're here now. So yeah, it can make it a lot easier. So after this, I'm going to write up some show notes in the, in the bottom. I'll kind of line out those those three points you talked because those are really crucial, I think, to anyone who's listening to this. But so before before you go, David, why don't you just share with us uh, the best way if people want to connect with you with your companies? What's the best way that people can can do that? Okay, so um, you can. Uh Go through to Affordable Staff. It's at affordablestaff.com.au. Um, you can reach me via email, David at affordablestaff.com.au. Uh, and um, yeah, that'd be the best way to connect with me or to find me. Perfect. All right. Well, thanks so much for coming on, David. I really appreciate it. Yeah, definitely. Thank you very much, Andy. All right. See ya. Okay. Bye. I love talking with David because he is a lot of fun, and I always have pages filled with notes after talking with him, and today was no different. While we covered a ton today, there are two main points I want to highlight. First, you need to understand your business before you can even think about outsourcing. 
If you can't explain a process in detail and don't know how it fits into the rest of your business, then you simply won't be able to get the results you want from outsourcing. Before you get started, you need to establish a foundation with a clear process for the work you want to outsource. Second, while there are many successful agencies that outsource most of their highly skilled work, I think there's an area where even more gains are possible. The obvious ROI from outsourcing comes when you're able to bill out work for more than it costs you to outsource, but that ignores the free time that it gives you and what you can generate with that. By outsourcing some of your repetitive tasks, you can now spend that time on the high ROI jobs like maintaining relationships with your clients and prospecting for new ones. This is where the big gains from outsourcing come, by allowing you the time to work on your business instead of just in it. Take a step back and think what a typical day looks like for you. How many of the tasks you work on actually put more money in your pocket? How many of those tasks need to be done by you? If it feels like you're too stuck in the weeds to grow your business, outsourcing some of that busy work may be just what you need. If you enjoyed this podcast, I'd love it if you went over to iTunes and shared what you got out of it in a review. And I'm always trying to improve. So if you have any feedback for me, please leave a comment here. That's all for this week. Tune in next week for another interview to help you build and grow your agency. Talk to you then.